Hello, and welcome to the Pacific Northwest Showdown podcast. We are your hosts, Michaela and Kate. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. We're really excited to have you all here. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different as we will not be having the showdown lowdown segment, but instead we'll be talking with a very special guest, Coach Amanda Ruler, who helped coach the Seahawks during training camp and through some of the preseason games. I think actually all the preseason games. Yeah. yeah. And it was really cool. We've already talked with her. So yeah. that was a pre recorded um, mm-hmm. interview that we got to do with her this week. She is incredible. I was completely nerding out. Amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really excited that you have tuned in, that you're going to get to listen to about 45 minutes to an hour long discussion with Coach. Yeah. She knows her shit. Oh, yep. She, the stories she tells, she's captivating to listen to. Mm So, and just an interesting, like just an interesting, um, progression to get to where she is now. Yeah. Just it's, it's great. So and, I'm excited uh, for you all to get to hear it. One day she will be a head coach in the NFL. That's I'm right. saying it here. I'm yep. saying it now. We're manifesting it out there. So uh, it's going to happen. Stay tuned. That interview is coming up next. We are really excited for the special guest segment. We have Coach Amanda Ruler here with us yes. today. Yes. And Coach Ruler was assistant running back coach for the Seattle Seahawks um, as part of the league's Bill Walsh Diversity Fellowship Program. And in doing this job, mm-hmm. Coach Ruler set history, becoming the first woman ever on the Seattle Seahawks coaching staff. Whoop, whoop. That is incredible. And so this summer, she coached through training camp and preseason games for the Seahawks, helping plan drills, uh, breaking down film, which is a very awesome skill set to have, first of all, and just everything in between. So thank you for joining us, Coach Ruler. Yeah, awesome. Well, well, thanks for having me, and I'm excited about this, so I'm excited. Awesome. Well, we're we're so glad to have you, and we love... Um, sort of starting off with our special guests with sort of a similar question for the conversation. And that is, what is your favorite thing about having lived or coached in the Pacific Northwest? Oh my gosh, the fans, a hundred percent. So I'm Canadian and I came from Saskatchewan. So I actually helped coach with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and they were the home of the 13th man. Um, but then when I came to the NFL, like the Seahawks, they were the home of like the 12th man. So it was just like the best transition ever. And they have mm-hmm. so many fans coming from Canada to come watch practice and the yeah. games. I couldn't believe it. Just getting into practice and those fans coming up to me being like, oh, my God, I'm Canadian, too. It's so <laughs> cool you're representing. I felt so much love and I was inspired by it. I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm breaking some barriers for Canadians everywhere this was a cool experience for me because the fans alone made it worthwhile. I need to share with you because the way that this podcast started, Steve, yeah, and they do a podcast called the Ballhawks podcast. And so they saw my tweets and stuff and they were like, we really like what this girl's putting out about the Seahawks. We would really love to have you on the show. So I joined the show for an episode last September mm-hmm. and they were like, Michaela, so when are you going to start your own podcast? 
And I go, I, I mean, I've thought about it, but like, I'm good. And my brother hit me up. He goes, Michaela, like you should start your own podcast. This is like, you're really good. You should start you, your own podcast. You are. Yeah. So it was actually my brothers up in Canada that having invited me on to join their show and talk about the Seahawks and their love for the the game that kind of started this. And now we're over a year in and I'm super grateful that they are the ones that inspired me to do this because the connections we've made and the experiences we've had have mm-hmm. been phenomenal. Yeah. So a lot of love for our, you know, brothers and sisters up in Canada. Yeah, for sure. There we go. I love that. So that's, that's like a cool connection, right? Because it feels like we're so close, but sometimes feeling far, far apart, but we're just a border away. <laughs> I have to admit something too that I'm a little ashamed of is that I've never been up to Canada and I've lived in the Pacific Northwest in Washington my entire life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to change that. We got to work on that. Yeah, I know we've talked Vancouver's about Vancouver's right there. I, mm-hmm. I've heard nothing but good things. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have to make that trip this, be, you know, probably we'll 2023 to, at this yeah, point. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to make it happen. We need to get yeah. all the things renewed now that you can cross the border again. Since you couldn't do it for a while there. And then now it's like, oh, yeah, now I have things have expired. So we have to actually kind of like make yeah. that happen. But yeah. yeah. So another fun thing, you know, we know that you have such a passion and love for sports. Mm-hmm. Another question we love to ask our special guests is outside of your love for sports, what is a favorite hobby or a secret talent that mm. you might have that people don't necessarily know or would assume about you? Oh, uh, I have this creative side. A lot of people don't know about me. Uh, I paint mm. quite a bit. So I love like I'll buy a canvas and just get into some painting because it's kind of therapeutic. I really mm-hmm. love doing it. And I, I love being creative, no matter what that is. I love more abstract art. So I kind of just have pretty aggressive uh, brush strokes and co- it's very colorful and, and fun in nature. And it's something that relaxes me. It's fun. And I feel like you wouldn't think that about me because I'm very intense and passionate about competition. So yeah, sure. no one's competing in art. So <laughs> um, I just make it for fun. Well, for me, I just make it fun. So. That's so cool. It kind of reminds awesome. me, I got like the Seattle storms, like it feels very artsy and creative and kind of like the brush, like just like lottery sports. That's what sport. I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Very cool. I know that like we're kind of the creative side too in our own way, but it's like those things that you do to kind of just decompress and mm-hmm. disconnect from the things that you have to like pour a lot of energy into. So it's nice to have those outlets for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so this summer with the Seahawks, what did your day-to-day look like during your time with that internship? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question because I think all teams are different with their Mm day-to-day activities. But for me specifically, I worked with the running backs coach. So I was assisting him and helping him. And when I first got in there today, we chatted about what we would be doing throughout the day he asked, what drills would you like to execute? What should we do for the, I, I, Chad and I, Chad Morton, yeah, the running backs coach there for the Seahawks was so great to me. He asked me tons of questions. He, he made me challenge my thinking of what a running back could be. And every day he asked for my feedback and I learned so much from him. So we started out the day together, staff meeting. We had a little bit of a mini indoor practice. So it's a walkthrough. Mm-hmm 
type of situation where I was able to actually, I played scout defense um, against the Seahawks, which was really, really fun. So I actually got to be involved in a lot, some of the playmaking as a defensive person. I played safe, free safety. So it was super fun. Uh, then we got into lunchtime, breaking down some of that film from walkthrough. Then we got into outdoor practice, which was a little bit longer, um, where we'd be more up-tempo. And then we have our individual drills, special teams was in there, uh, tons of other stuff that we did. But then we got down, right after that, we broke down film with the coaches. Then we broke down film with the athletes. And then whatever we need to do for that day for installs. And then some suffer. But I worked on individual stuff, just like working on my skills helping with some breaking down of the film and working on that DB sport or inputting that data within the computers. I did everything I could. I always asked for more tasks. So my days were pretty filled and they were consistent. Like you'd consistently wake up and have filled with all those activities. And then I would, at the end of the day, find a spot for me to go work out myself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have to put that time in for yourself too. Like if, cause you got to take care of your heart, your mind, your body. I say that a lot on the show is like, take care of your heart and mind above all else. If mm-hmm. you're not doing that for yourself, it's really hard to do that for other people and to be your best self and your the best version of yourself when you show up to what you're supposed to do. Um, so I'm glad to hear that you still are taking care of yourself at the end of the day. What time would you show up to the facility and what time would you leave? I would show up maybe around 5.30 in the morning and leave around 11 p.m. Wow. I was there all day. Uh, I think there's a misconception about coaches, uh, especially as an athlete. I mean, I was an athlete myself. I played football. I did Olympic lifting. Um, I've done everything, a track and field. But I never knew as a coach, especially in football, how many hours you put into coaching. And this is true mm-hmm. for, I did work within university football as well. Same thing, showing up at the office very, very early. Last first one there, last one to leave. So mm-hmm. all I was there every single day, all day long. I think it helps that you put like, again, a timestamp on it because yeah. we often hear, you know, in the media, like the first one to show up, the last one to leave, but there's not necessarily a context for it. it's like, what is that? Like what time frame typically yeah. is that? Yeah. And so you're pretty much going home, sleeping, and just like it's you're devoting your entire day. Yes. Every hour you have to being there to do the job that you're passionate about. Do you feel like, based off of your experience, that what the national media says and experiences and the fan bases that they don't necessarily have? as much context to be able to respect the amount of time that's put in by coaching staffs, by the players. Like, I don't know that they fully have that context for what first one there, last one out means. Yeah. Um, I just, because it's, it's an industry that isn't ruled about like you're given hours during the day. It's a short season, right? Cause it's, it's only, starts at the beginning and, and only goes so far. Like you're not there for an entire year. Yeah. Um, you have a little bit of a break. That's what I'm trying to say is um, unlike regular jobs where you have to be there at nine and then you're able to leave at five. The pursuit of football is endless. And mm-hmm. that's why I think I quite love it is because you can never be satisfied at the end of the day. You're like, there's always more work to do. There's always more film to watch. There's always more to be learned. And I don't think people really understand unless you're in it. And I don't think I really understood as a player. 
And that's mm-hmm. totally fine because as soon as I started doing that, I had the attitude I was all in coaching and this is what I want to do. So I was here for it. Like as soon as they said, this is the expectation set by the head coach, I'm in there. And some days, you know, you try to beat the head coach in there and I, I don't know, he must sleep there because Pete Carroll was there all the time, every day. I really looked up to him as a mentor and he was just such a great person to work with. Always mm-hmm. excited always passionate, always there all day long, doing the best he could, putting in every single ounce of energy that he had. And it was just amazing. Wow. What would you say is your biggest like area of growth or development during your time with the Seahawks? Could you put a name to what that specific thing is? Or do you feel like there's a lot that you developed and how you grew as a person? But what stood out to you? I'm going to give it a name and it's confidence. Because because, just because a lot of the time when I was coaching or working with people or volunteering before, it felt almost as if I needed to be grateful. I needed to Mm -hmm. be grateful with the opportunity that you're given, you know, put your head down and do the work. And the thing I gained with being with the Seahawks is they gave me perspective on my worth. They picked me out of a lot of individuals that have applied for this opportunity and this fellowship because I was the best person for this opportunity. And I had to take that in and for a second be like, I have to be confident in who I am. And going forward, I will never be a coach that's going to put down their head and not give their opinion and just do what everyone says. I'm going to give my opinion. I'm going to be the best coach I can be because they told me I was. They told mm-hmm. me I was worth something to this world as a coach. And going forward, I will not let anyone tell me otherwise. And that's the biggest thing I gained from them is their confidence in me as a coach has really shattered the old me. And I am this new person altogether. I, I love that. Yeah, I love hearing you say that <laughs> so because... As a woman going into a male-dominated, number one, sport, but yeah. also, too, as a coach yeah, in, in, in that realm, you have to have a level of confidence. I, what you said really stood out to me about, like, not just putting my head down mm-hmm. and doing what I'm being told, like, but to have an opinion and to say something and the confidence it takes to do that in that yeah. world. What did you personally have to go through? to get to that point where that confidence was there. It's not just something that happens overnight for people and especially for young women trying to build themselves up and to get to these places. And there's a lot of things that are said in words. And I had listened to a podcast that you had joined and and you were discussing kind of like the top 1% believes in me. Like they know that I'm supposed to be here. I'm going to listen to those voices. Those are the voices that matter if I'm going to be able to grow in this space. Mm-hmm. But what does it take to get there to believe in yourself and to have that level of confidence? Because there's so many women that need it in this world. I It's exactly how I got there as I kept listening to those people's mm-hmm. that opinions matter to me the most. And it started with my family. Mm-hmm. It started with my dad believing in me as an athlete growing up. He mm-hmm. said, you can do anything the boys can do. And then having such a powerhouse mom who was a career woman, she, she 
made me feel confident who I was. And then every time someone said I couldn't do something, I was like, but my mom is, my, my mom's a badass. And she says I can, like, are you serious? Yeah. Right now? Yeah. So every single time someone told me, no, there was the top one percenters that are like, of course you belong here. Of course you should be in this space. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones that like saw my passion, saw my vision and started helping me along the way. I'd never mm-hmm. asked to be helped and to be pulled along. I just created these relationships with people that were my mentors and my friends. And they just saw how excited I was to learn from them and how open I was from their opinion because a lot of time people are very negative I want to do it my way I was so mm-hmm. open to getting help and I had to push my personal ego aside being like I don't know it all like what do you mean by that like even asking like defensive fronts or coverages what does cover two mean or cover three right. like just asking yeah. these questions maybe somebody else would know within the football industry but I'm just starting out so I didn't know and I actually asked these questions Whereas somebody else might feel embarrassed. Mm -hmm. So I gained that confidence by asking the questions no one else was willing to ask Mm -hmm. in the room. And I just, every time ask that question and and every time those one percenters is like, you know what you're talking about, don't you? And I'm like, yes, I do. So just Mm -hmm. having these conversations and getting people to believe in me and my vision and my ability, because then they speak for you. So it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you and they will speak about you in, in spaces yeah. where you're, you're needed to be elevated. And the biggest thing is somebody asked me, how can we help women? How can we help women be, be in the football industry or in these spaces? I'm like, when you're asked behind our backs about our ability, elevate us. And that's all I'm asking because yeah. that is when they ask is when I am not in the room or mm-hmm. other women are not in the room because they want to know your true opinion. Mm-hmm. Elevate us. And those people that talk bad stuff about us, shut it down. And that's yep. what I, all I'm asking mm-hmm. is just shut down that conversation of saying they don't belong here. What do they have to do with winning? Because mm-hmm. these and are things that I've conversations. heard. You know, I've heard comments from professional players and, you know, in conversations with the media and whether they wish they could walk back their comments and sort of things. But like, what, what do women know about route running? What do women know about the game and in the fine details? It's just mm. like, just as you can learn the game by practicing and being there and having a coach, like we have brains that function too, that can also learn and have the capacity to process and develop a deep knowledge and love for this game. Mm-hmm. We might not be out there on Sundays with you at the NFL level, but the one thing I really wish, Amanda, like the one thing I wish was that when I was in high school that there was a, a, a women's football, like a girls football team that I could have participated and played on. Because as a soft, a former softball player, I had a high level of a mental game on that field. It took a lot of mental capacity to understand what was happening each play and to know what to do situationally. And I felt like that could have transpired mm-hmm. in a great way. And at 30 years old now, I'm kind of like, okay, well, I'm really excited for the girls and the women coming up behind me that are getting these opportunities to play and to learn the game and to be yeah. on the field and to showcase their great talents. So I'm, I'm grateful for people like you. I'm grateful for the women coming up behind us that mm-hmm. have people like you to look up to. I'm totally nerding out over your experience right now. <laughs> like 
You have no idea. She's been very excited. So <laughs> it's just such a great opportunity to see people like you. And what does it take to get there? Right. So I, again, I, I'm like totally nerding out over your experience and over your grit and your drive mm-hmm. and what it takes. Right. Like you say, like, I don't want anything handed to me just because of wanting this opportunity of being a woman. And no, you've worked your ass off to get here in a lot of different avenues and through education. Like, you know what you're talking about. You show up every day. Um, it sounds like the players have a lot of respect for you in, in the Seahawks organization. Mm-hmm. That running back room is really special. And I'm really sad for Rashad Penny for, you know, his season ending again yeah. too early. But Kenneth Walker, you stated, was going to be something special before the season started. What are Now that you're seeing how his season's unfolding, what do you have to say about what you saw this summer to what you're seeing transpire now in the field? Wow. Um, today I saw, I don't, I don't know if it was posted today or yesterday, but the NFL named Kenneth Walker the midseason rookie yep. of the year. Midseason yeah. rookie of the year. That is so, I just like saw that and I was just so overwhelmed with joy because mm-hmm. I got to be there. You know, that day when he comes in and he welcomed me and he said, I get to work with you. And I'm like, I get to work with you. Like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And sitting and doing extra film study with him and, and meeting him in the weight room and just watching him grow into this great athlete has been in this short amount of time has been such an awesome journey because I only want to help people want to help athletes. I want to see them do well because I was an athlete too. And I loved coaches that really put in the extra time to help me be great. And that's what I tried to do with all of the running backs there, but it was especially cool to see him as a rookie. And as you know, him in those first preseason games didn't get a lot of reps. And mm-hmm. I remember he was sitting on the bench and he wasn't looking too happy. And I went over and I sat right next to him and I said, what's going on? What's going through your head? And he's just like, and I, I think he just, I don't know. And I'm like, I know what you're thinking. Like you are going to be great in this league. You are going to be somebody that this franchise is going to remember for years to come. Your time is coming. And that's all I had to say. And I remember he smiled and just said, okay, I get that. So he just felt a little bit better because because mm-hmm. he was going to be used or like they were playing more Richard yeah. everything. I am so sorry to see see what happened to Richard Penny. I do love seeing Kenneth Walker really lean into that now. He yeah. had to lean into the starting position, mm-hmm. and he went with it, and he's doing such an amazing job. And I'm so excited for his potential going forward. And I could see it that first day of training camp and OTAs. And that was amazing. That was, that was so cool to see and seeing how, where he is right now. You talked about working with the running backs on kind of like slowing down the game. Like they might have a lot of speed, right? They're coming in with a lot of speed, but we got to slow it down. We got to have vision. So one thing I'm noticing with Ken is like, he has the vision. Like it's something I've noticed and I highlighted it. Like I think after this last game, the two things that stand out to me about Ken his vision and his ability to cut back. Mm-hmm. He's fast as heck. We know he reached 22 miles an hour over that. Mm-hmm. But his vision and his ability to cut back. 
So when you say, hey, let's slow down the, the game and, and get your vision going, what does that look like on the practice field to say, like, how do you slow that down when come game day, it's like fast paced and ready to go? Just repping through it in practice, right? Because I like to say the mind is a muscle as well. If we kind of slow it down in practice a little slow too quick through, that's what we kind of had him do right? Is he is quite fast. And sometimes in practice when he was first starting out, that might have been an issue. But as you can see now, he is just sailing through all of that. Because the more you work out your mind, the more you can envision what's happening and get those reps in a little bit slower. Mm -hmm. It's just an automatic response at that point. And I love this because I was reading this book um, where they were analyzing taxi drivers. Mm. So when they were analyzing these taxi drivers' brains, when they were going through their different routes, their gray matter in their brain was, was huge because they were always taking different roadmaps, different, different avenues, and they could envision going forward. Mm. They had analyzed a taxi driver's brain after he was done. Uh, he had retired. He was done being a taxi driver. His gray matter actually shrunk because he wasn't always going through those routes and envisioning them, right? So that really shows you when you slow things down and you remember those routes and you go through them or go through that hole, that part of your brain just expands and it's almost like an automatic response where you need uh -huh. to go or cut it back. So that's why you're just really getting those reps in of quality over quantity mm -hmm. and slowing it down slow too quick through. That's how I always explain it. I love it. That's awesome. Um, wow. Well, as a member of the coaching staff from the summer, what stood out to you about the culture that's cultivated by not only the staff, but also the players? I love that. Um, especially with the Seattle Seahawks, they had a, a philosophy, right, of always compete. So mm -hmm. I felt like that had had a top-down response. So Pete Carroll started that off in the day. We're going to always compete. And every time you enter the film room or, or went out to the, uh, into the weight room or went out to the field, there was a sign that had the Seahawks uh, logo on it. It said, tap in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tap in. So every single player was always hitting that. And I am quite short. I'm five feet. So I had to vertical jump and hit that every time. So it was awesome to see all the players really buying into the culture mm -hmm. of the team because the philosophy went top down and every single athlete was like, I am here for it. I am part of this team. I am tapping in. I'm always competing. I'm always going to be the best version of myself. And I've never seen an organization be so well run from the inside out. I couldn't believe it. Um, going forward, I will do the exact same thing as a culture for a team that I want to coach. Like if I'm going to be a head coach of something, I want to install a philosophy, something for my athletes to buy in and live and breathe by so that mm -hmm. they know what they know what they're fighting for. And it's each other. And, and it's always competing and, and competition and thriving to be better version of yourself. And I love that about the culture there. And the athletes were all part of it. And it was interesting in the second preseason game, an athlete had gotten hurt in the middle of the field and all of the players, every single one of them on the sideline came out to the middle of the field. And it hit me at that moment. I was like, all these players care. All these players mm -hmm. are bought into this team. All these people are a Seahawk. And that was just the coolest thing to just see how that buy-in culture was in that yeah. moment. Yeah. 
Well, when you start to connect, like, like just like the brotherhood and, and what the game means. And I think we're starting to see more of kind of like the compassion that comes out with like saying like, we're not just athletes and people that are playing on the field. Like we're human beings and we're people and we have Mm -hmm. bodies and minds that we have to protect and care about and families. Like there's so much more. And I think that that's why when we talk with like former athletes, you know, we've talked with Doug Baldwin and KJ Wright and Shelby Harris. Like we've had conversations with them and we always like to bring up mental health because there's so much more to who they are as as people mm-hmm. and it's easy to forget like we're just watching a game unfold and we have feelings about how things are run or what was done or they could have se- passed here or run there and that gap but they're human beings and so i like to hear the culture component because it also makes it a desirable place to coach a mm-hmm. desirable place to play and it's been this way and, and from what i've heard it has been this way for years and Pete has really cultivated that. I also like always compete. I'm like, that's definitely like off of his name. Always come <laughs> compete. Um, so it's a lot of fun. I think that's really fun. Um, and it sounds like there's a culture there that people can just like really fully enjoy mm-hmm. being there, being who they are and that there's a lot of support there on the mental health side too. Like that, they care about one another. And when you care about one another, you feel like you can show up and you can trust each other to be there where they need you to be on the field, off the field. Um, So I really like hearing you talk about that in a little bit more in depth too. Yes. um, I'm a big, big advocate for uh, mental health awareness. Uh, Just as an athlete, there was no support when I was playing in anything like from track to football to weightlifting no support at all. And it was almost, it was weird to me. Uh, And I definitely had some issues myself. Um, I had a lot of performance anxiety after my father passed away just because he was my biggest supporter. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, where do I go from here? Mm -hmm. And that was a big issue for me. So I actually went ahead and I shared my story with my running backs group. I just said, If we got 10 minutes, I got a story and I told them about that. I told my running backs group about that time when I was at my lowest as an athlete pretending, you know, because social media was a thing like putting my, I actually showed them a picture of this picture I posted on social media when I was at my lowest and I was smiling and looked happy, but on the inside I had so much performance anxiety and I did not feel great. And it was hard because there was no support. So it's like, where do you go from there? And then I told them the different ways I coped with it and how I not overcame it. I don't want to say this is a story of triumph, but I, but I helped mitigate the situation. And mm-hmm. now I'm here to share my story. And they were like, I could not believe the whole group literally shared a story with me at right after. Like every mm-hmm. single person's going through it. And I took the time to just be like, this is how I felt. This is what happened to me. And they were like, me too. Mm -hmm. Which is insane because, you know, sometimes you think that they're indestructible because they are big, like big guys on the big stage of of the world of football, but they're definitely like everybody else. And it was really, really cool to be in that moment, share what I had and them to share back with me. So as a psychology major, (laughs) I too am a huge mental health advocate and I work at a high school in Tacoma as a college prep advisor. So a lot of the social emotional support comes along with that just because Mm -hmm. you're working with high school students there. It's a really important time for development for them. 
but talking to individuals and breaking the stigma, especially with athletes is imperative because I feel like a lot of the time it's kind of like show up, do your, do your thing, like rub some dirt on it. It's kind of sometimes a culture that had kind of been cultivated. And it was interesting because Doug Baldwin said, you know, when you were playing in the NFL, you kind of have to put yourself up on this pedestal to be able to survive the social media component, to be able to survive kind of just the day ins and day outs of being somebody on this national media stage. You kind of put yourself up on this pedestal. But when you retire or when you're done, there's this big come down and you realize like you're just another person. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I had asked him, I said, do you feel like the NFL is doing enough to support their players that either one, maybe they have season ending or career ending injuries Mm -hmm. or they go off in retirement do you feel like there's enough mental health support? And he goes, yes and no. Like I, he goes, I think that that is important for players to also take that responsibility to seek out that kind of support for themselves. But he goes, I think they're doing some good things, but there's always more that could be done. Mm -hmm. There's always more that could be done. And ultimately what I think it like really relies on is that people need people and people need people to be able to share their story and be vulnerable because if we're not vulnerable and you as a coach being able to say, like, I just need 10 minutes of your time, all of a sudden, not only did that allow other players to be vulnerable with you and to tell you their truth, but all of a sudden that trust and that relationship exactly. just got so much better. Yep. They know they can come to you because you would understand in some capacity. It might not be the exact same situation, but they know that you're a safe person to come and talk to. So I love that that's something that you brought to this team this mm-hmm. summer and to those players this summer because it's so important. Yeah, I they actually did a great job of opening up the conversation as well. They actually brought uh, Jay Glazer in to mm-hmm. come do oh, yeah. a talk. Yeah, because he, as a guest speaker, because he had written a, a book recently. So he came in and, and started talking about his experience with performance anxiety just as like someone that's on TV. Yeah. And it was surprising to hear from him that he has, he is very anxious and someone that almost has a panic attack every time he goes on TV because you think a lot of people are put together. And it was cool to hear his truth in that moment. And I think they did a really good job bringing him in and him sharing his story. Um, and they did a good job because they actually brought up somebody else to be like, you can hear somebody to talk to. So they, from my experience, what the time I was just there, they were doing yeah. things to help implement some some measures to help with mental health and it was inspiring. That's awesome. I think that um I think that and hearing that about the Seahawks, um, kind of that idea that they are really there for the players as people too, um, is probably a really beneficial thing as a team and probably helps build towards the success that they have. And and right now, um, you know, the Seahawks are six and three. They're having a lot more success than I think probably anybody, most people expected um, outside the organization for sure. Um, you know, people were really counting them out after Wilson was traded and everything. So um, what it, what do you think contributes? What do you think? What else do you think contributes to that success that they're having right now? Yeah, it's uh, it starts with just guys wanting to do right by the team. And I remember mm-hmm. specifically during OTAs, um, during OTAs, it's a little bit more relaxed. Like it wasn't every single day, but it was like three days on and there was a day off. And I remember I didn't know what to do. So I came in anyway. Um, 
But I came in there and I was the only person in the building because I, obviously I didn't have any friends or family there. So I was just going to come in and just try to catch up. Gino Smith came in and I'm like, what are you doing? To, or like, oh, I was surprised. Like, what are you doing here today? He's like, well, I want to get better. I'm here mm. to study. I'm here, I'm here to get better. And just somebody with that work ethic and that tenacity, I was just so excited for him. And I was like, this guy is going to be great this year. Like, I honestly, like, in that moment, I just was like, dang, like, that's the kind of player that you wish you had a million of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the guys that come in their off day that are just like, you could be anywhere in the world, like, but you chose to be here on your off day to to get extra work in, like, during the summer, during the OTA summer. Mm-hmm. And I thought that speaks volumes for the guys that are bought in and that's what's contributing to their success. Like, I just honestly think they had a lot of guys that are like that. And I saw kept seeing that is they're just like camaraderie. They're, they're mm-hmm. a unit, like nobody's yep. there. That's like a vampire sucker okay. <laughs> or taking away from the team. No, they actually yeah. like, look at these guys as, as each guy, they're like, okay, are they taking away value from the team? And I was just mm-hmm. like, this is so cool that you do this. Because uh-huh. it really shows me that you care about the character of these guys, not just their level of play. I know uh-huh. that's a big factor, but they actually care who these guys are and what they bring to this team. So I think that really speaks for why they're being so successful right now. Yeah. I heard, I was listening to the um, Brock and Salk show on 710 radio this morning. And I think it, was, it must've been Brock or Salk had brought up that Pete Carroll really like, kind of values trying to make sure that there's no drama being brought in during the season that that kind of the things that could be happening externally like that it's at as much of a minimum as possible mm-hmm. and just to kind of stay focused kind of keep your head down and continue to work hard um how important do you think that is to maintaining a positive culture because you t- you talk about like these vampire <laughs> suckers which is true like yeah. there are people yep. even in our own personal lives yep. that can kind of suck your energy yep um how do you kind of evaluate at what point there might be something happening in the locker room where somebody could be kind of pulling on that energy in a negative way and how do you navigate that in a locker room Mm -hmm. yeah i they they even like during the beginning of all of like the camp and otas is they kind of ask around like what's like bringing all the staff and like how do you see this guy going forward? Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. Like to hear, like they really wanted to break it down. Every coach saying, what do you think this guy can contribute mm-hmm. to the team in the locker room as a human being? And I thought that that was rare. And I'd never seen that before. Cause you mm-hmm. know, like I'm sure we all have been on some sort of team or had that friend that just really took the energy out of you and mm-hmm. didn't want to be there or showed up late. And I wish they would have took that person off my team, but you can't because you're sometimes I was at a very low level of football. So um, when I played, so it's like, you can't just take that person off at this level. You can, because they can be easily replaced. And I thought that that was really cool for them to take that into consideration. And they did that. They did just that. They just, they asked the coaches to evaluate the players in that respect. That's amazing. Yeah, I like I I like that a lot because I think um so I I'm I'm coming at all of this with like 
learning sports because Michaela loves sports. And if I want to hang out with Michaela, I have to like know about, well, I have to like at least be around. So I just start learning it. But I, I have always, I, my transition into kind of knowing more about professional sports has been tricky because I came from like the kids sports thing where it's like, we're all a team, we're all in this together. Like, yeah, you know, and then now it's like, this is a business and all these people play a role in making this business successful. I mean, in a way. And so, um, so kind of knowing that the people part of that matters, uh, a lot and not just like how well you can throw or catch a ball or run down a field, just to kind of put it simply like that. Um, that's really great to hear because I think that's really important as well. Like these, these athletes are, um, in the spotlight, they're looked up to by tons of kids, people, everything else. And it, it's nice to know that like, you care about what you're putting out there as part of your brand, that it's not just like this guy had the best time in the, whatever thing is the dash of whatever when they see I'm the not combine. that I'm the thing you know where I'm trying to go yes, I'm I not do, I'm not there yet but um but it's it's good that they're looking at other factors as well I I think but that's good to hear for sure um what else is good to hear is that we all here in the Seattle area get to wake up at really early on Sunday morning to watch <laughs> this next uh this next Seahawks game over in Germany playing the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. And so um, regardless of the success that the Seahawks have seen on the field, you know, a lot of the national media seems to still be favoring the Bucks to win on Sunday. I mean, did they not see Gino's picture painted on that big bill? Like, I mean, maybe not, but <laughs> I mean, but what do you, th- what do you think the Seahawks have to do to win this, this game? Be consistent. So we had a saying at the Seahawks, it's just called do right longer. They just need uh-huh. to do it longer than the other guys. Just keep one play at a time, one drive uh-huh. at a time, one series at a time, over and over and over again. I'm sure you yeah. hear Fun Lynch uh, say that kind of stuff. Yeah, over really over it. and run it down their throat over and get that run game going, right? Um, and Gino, we trust, right? That's what I keep saying uh-huh. because I keep seeing it over social media. And it's awesome to see him do his thing. And so many people wrote him off. And I am so proud of him as an individual and a human being and for him to do great. They have an incredible run game. I'm yeah. Tell you that. Uh, and then the defense, like it's just going to be, all they need to do is just be consistent. Do right longer. Mm-hmm. Defense is great. Uh, even working with, with Clinch hurt. Oh my goodness. He is an amazing person. He was so cool. Like to help me out. And I asked him so many questions and sat down with that guy and he's this amazing human being all together. So just do right longer guys. They got it. Bobby Wagner would like to say, don't get bored with consistency. And it's important <laughs> because it's like the basics, right? The the technical part of the game. Like mm-hmm. you have to just be consistent in the things that yep. the basics even. Um, and and being yep. really, really good at it and not getting bored with that. Um, so cool. I think that the Seahawks are gonna pull out a win. I think that they'll I, pull it out. They've I don't been see why not. Really good, and I love seeing them pull it all together. Literally in every facet: the offense, so the defense, good. special teams. Mm-hmm. They pull it all together. Like this team's special. Yeah, I was thinking this morning on my drive to work. I'm so lame. I'm such an emotional person. Like I get emotional about sports, and for some reason, I I envisioned Geno Smith like lifting up the Lombardi Trophy at the end of the like this season. Oh my gosh, the yeah. Super Bowl win, and how special that story would be. 
Oh my God. I like, I started getting teary in my car. I'm like driving to work. I'm like, I'm such, I'm such a nerd. I'm like, I'm never going to tell anybody about this, but now everybody, but now will know. everybody's going to know. It's fine. Um, so that's, I agree. Consistency, their run game, something special, their tackles, their rookie class is really incredible. Mm-hmm. The right? tackles have improved a lot. Abe Lucas, I went to Washington State University, so I'm really proud that there's a Coug out there playing right tackle, showing out. What an so impressive amazing. guy. He's very impressive, and it was cool to see his growth over time, just being mm-hmm. there when he first, literally first got there, um, and watching him grow into this person and this athlete. I, I'm very excited for him and his potential and where he's going with that. Um, it, it's just amazing to see where all, like, all these guys coming in and where they're going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to wrap kind of this up, we have just two more questions. What are the next steps for you in your career? And what's your ultimate dream job in the world of sports? My ultimate dream job is to work in the NFL. Um, I think at any capacity, I'd love to start out as a positional coach, but the ultimate, ultimate, and I didn't even actually think this was possible. And this is when I talked to you about the confidence Mm -hmm. is just working with Pete Carroll and him saying you have the potential to be a head coach in this industry. Yeah. And I was just taken aback and I could not believe him saying Mm -hmm. that to me because of all the stuff he's done and all the places that he's been. Yeah. Him giving me that nugget. I think that I could be a head coach in the NFL going forward. You're going to do it. That is my ultimate, ultimate, ultimate dream job. And it starts here and now and getting more experience and getting more and more um, opportunities. And like the next thing I want to do is, you know, as a a assistant running backs coach and then me doing university running backs coach, I want to be an offensive coordinator and work up from there. Maybe I'll be a defensive coordinator one day and then work my way into being a head coach. But I, it's not going to happen overnight. I have to keep putting in this work. Mm-hmm. So what's next for me is finding that next opportunity, whether it be CFL, NFL. Um, I just finished working with a university football team um, where I just won an award for coaching recognition. And I think that's where it starts, right? Is just like mm-hmm. keep moving forward one step at a time. And I'll, I'll get there. And people will have that trust and attention for me to be in that position. So that's where I'm going. I love the confidence. And yeah. I literally have no doubt that we will see you as a head coach in the NFL. I have no doubt it's <laughs> going to happen. We're like, it's true. And, and it, then when it does happen, we can go back and like play this part of the clip to be like, we knew it. You see, she said it was going to happen. <laughs> and we were like, that happened. And then we'll yeah. be like, hey, we'll all celebrate. It'll be exciting. Yeah. Well, for, for other, you know, young girls out there and and women out there who maybe now are dreaming or have dreamed before about pursuing coaching in the CFL or NFL, what steps would you encourage them to take? Because I'm guessing a lot of, I'm guessing a lot of them, a lot of, I mean, I I know when I was younger, I never would have thought about, you know, women going off and coaching and stuff like that. And it seems silly because it's not that long ago, but um, but it's this new thing. So how, how can they make this dream come to fruition? The first thing they can do is, is get as much experience as they can. And that's just like pushing down doors, asking if you can volunteer. And that's exactly what I did is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes I was told no. So I had to go around the other ways. So I didn't even mention is every time a door closed, I actually started in sports football media. 
And I, mm. and I showed up to games and practices and did my media talking to coaches. So I gained their trust and attention. And I eventually said, can I help coach? Mm. So I got in it backdoor by doing sports media. Mm. And then I used my degree as an exercise physiologist and exercise certi certification uh, by doing strength and conditioning for football athletes for combine prep. So I became this mm. combine prep specialist, double down on what your skill set is and go after that. And I also mm -hmm. use my data analytics from strength and conditioning to help with football recruiting because I'm mm -hmm. really good at movement analysis and data analytics and use whatever you can to literally Let's get go. your foot in yes. the door as many hats as you can wear. Like you'll yes. never find a coach that has as many hats as I do because holy smokes, I tried every avenue to get in and I am yeah. here. So yeah. you can't deny the person the squeaky wheel literally gets the grease. And if I mm -hmm. would have just put my head down and said, okay, like, I guess I wasn't meant for this, I wouldn't have gotten as far as I can. So keep pushing. Every time someone tells you no, like, that's just going to happen. You're going to be told 5,000 no's, but like literally one person's going to say yes. So keep going. Yeah. Double yep. down on what you're good at. Um, I wish I knew to know your worth. I did a lot of free stuff where I should have charged people because somebody asked you to do that because you're the best person for the job. So yeah. know your worth going into stuff and keep pushing, like literally befriend people in the industry and keep asking if there's opportunities. Mm. Networking yeah. is the number one thing I tell my students that they need to start doing sooner yeah. than later, because sooner literally later. <laughs> almost every job I've had, even in the realm of education, it was because I knew somebody somewhere mm -hmm. and they were able to speak on behalf of me or they knew that mm -hmm. this opening was happening and of course, my resume and my interview skills helped me actually like lock in the job, but I wouldn't have been considered had I not potentially known somebody. So it's something yeah. I tell, leverage your network and find <laughs> those doors. Yes. Yeah. Well, we just want to say thank it's you so much. It's been so fun. For joining. <laughs> this has been one of my all-time favorite discussions, mm -hmm. conversations. Um, it's really fun to elevate women in the world of sports. Yep. And that's really what we want to focus in on and mm -hmm. really help do mm -hmm. women's voices in sports, women coaching in sports, women playing sports. Yes. And to get people excited about it mm -hmm. because women are badass. It's true. Yep. It's true. So thank you, Coach Ruler, for being here, for sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your experience with us. We are super grateful and uh, we hope you have a good rest of your night. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You've got mail. Welcome back to the mailbag segment. We couldn't not have the mailbag. It is such a great part of the show. So thanks for, um, Thanks for sticking with us. I hope you enjoyed that interview and got to learn some new things about Coach Ruler. Maybe you knew about her already. Maybe it's new information for you. Either way, we hope you enjoyed it. We sure did have a lot of fun talking to her. Our first mailbag question comes from Mike McCarty, and he says, Thanksgiving is around the corner. What is your go-to side dish? And if you had to choose something else besides turkey, what would be your main dish? 
Kate already asked me. She, I, she I was knows pre, I was pretty what my sure side I knew. dish would be. Yeah, I was be. pretty sure I knew what her side dish my was. My mom's, and specifically my mom's, mm-hmm. green bean casserole mm-hmm. is my favorite side dish. Yeah. During Thanksgiving, yeah. Christmas, sometimes it will be made, but usually it's Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. It's it's the best. Yeah. I um For me, I really like sweet potatoes and yams. I'm not like uh, discriminatory between the two. Like whichever one is available is good. I love the sweet potato casserole with like the marshmallows um, with on the, top. with the marshmallows and like the candied pecans and stuff like that. And then I've also had um, a different version of that where it's like you cut up the, I think they're technically yams for this one, but you cut up the yams into like chunks, like big, big size kind of chunks. And then you make kind of that um, pecan caramely brown sugary glaze and then you just glaze all of it so it still gives you that same sort of vibe you know without the marshmallows but um but it's really those are those are really good too so sweet potatoes are for me always something that I want on the side what about the alter like the alter alternate alternate to turkey yeah that's a tough one. Look, I'm not I love bacon but I'm not a huge like slab of ham kind of person yeah. like I don't know what it is. And I love salt. Yeah. It's, it doesn't ever feel mm-hmm. know, well, like, dry. I don't know. My, my mom used to make this, she used to make this ham back before, like you could buy all the spiralized hams and stuff like that. She'd make the ham where she would do like the, you know, the pineapple rings on top with the cherries and the cloves and all that kind of stuff. And that was like pretty good. But to me, it just doesn't say Thanksgiving. Um, and I think that's just because turkey is so closely associated it associated with it. Um, one year, she did a turducken. Have you ever had turducken? Oh, where it's like the turkey stuffed with a chicken. I actually have the or I have the right answer for this. Duck stuck with a chicken. I don't know. It's one of those things. Yeah, the Cornish hens. Oh gosh, that's right. We did that that we year. Did that that year, and it turned out it was during, very it was, tasty. It was during like all the COVID stuff. Yep. And I bought the Cornish hens and we called them tiny turkeys. They look like tiny little baby they look turkeys. Like baby turkeys. And somehow I I mean, I just looked up a recipe online and it she did a great job. It turned out amazing. Although when we tried to duplicate it later, it didn't it work. And it was the same recipe. It like it just didn't taste it as wasn't good. As, it was a little bit like Yeah, I don't know. But that is a great point. The Cornish, the Cornish hens, hens. That we'll keep it in the poultry family. Yeah, yeah, because just saying chicken didn't seem like exciting no. enough. Like I'm not gonna go and get a rotisserie exactly for this. I mean, you could, you totally. I mean, make it easier for everybody. But yeah, Mike, thank you for challenging us to think of some new things right there. Because it's always good for the brain to keep on moving. So moving on over to a question from uppity old woman, one of our very favorite Storm fans. Yes, um, she asks. What has happened to dramatically revive a Seahawks defense that has arguably underperformed for multiple seasons? Can they sustain this comeback? Also, is Geno Smith an underrated QB coming into his own? Can he take the Hawks back to the playoffs? Uppity old woman, Mama Jan. Yep. Is hitting us with some solid questions, especially not having done the showdown lowdown or the Hawkeye analysis this week. Yeah. You're allowing us to kind of dive into that a little bit deeper here in the mailbag segment. Absolutely. First of all, what has happened to dramatically revive the Seahawks defense this season? I'm going to go with the infusion of youth. And was it painful the first three, four weeks of the season? Sure. They had to get it all together. 
the development, there was mm-hmm. a lot to be done mm-hmm. to get on the same page. Mm-hmm. There was missed assignments. Yep. Felt like guys didn't necessarily know where they were supposed to be. Yeah, that's true. When you have rookies out on the field, it can take them a few games to get settled into their Mm -hmm. own. There's a lot of nerves. There's a lot of communication that has to go behind that. Just that Bobby Wagner isn't there anymore in the middle of the defense. And he was the one that was making those play calls and making adjustments. And now that's Jordan Brooks. Yeah. Doing that. So he has to step into his own. Yep. But really what changed it? Number one. We went and got Tariq Woolen. Oh, my gosh. What a steal in the draft. Yeah. He has turned out to be potentially the defensive rookie of the year. I mean, deservedly so. Kobe Bryant. Yep. In that slot position. Mm-hmm. He has been fantastic. Four, missed, or four forced fumbles mm-hmm. this season. That's the top mm-hmm. in the NFL. He would have almost had a fifth, but they said that it wasn't they, a complete that catch. Was, that was he such a lame call. He also almost had an interception in the last game. Yeah. That got called back due to a penalty. Kobe Bryant... Is also kind of underrated here, I think, a little bit because Tariq Woolen has been so great. Mm -hmm. So you have the infusion of youth. On top of that, the defense, they've made adjustments this season to go and say, okay, we made maybe made this a little bit too complicated. We're trying to make you do more reads. We're just going to let you go. If you see something, we're just going to let you go. So they kind of released, released. Yeah. They took the that, leash off. That gradual release of responsibility that we work on so hard. You in see education. something, you go. <laughs> yeah. You see it, you go. Yeah. If you and that's Uchenna Nuoso. Mm-hmm. He was an off-season signing. Mm-hmm. This is the best season in his career, and he's still very young. I think he's twenty-five years old. Twenty-four, yeah. twenty-five yeah. years old. He's having an incredible season, which is what we need. So, I think that again. We have a new defensive coordinator and yep. Clint Hurt. Yep. We had, was it Carl Smith and uh, Sean Desai come over from yeah. the Bears? Yeah, I would say the Bears. And so there's some defensive-minded coaches on that coaching staff. Yeah. And so you have all new coaching staff on top of a lot of new young players. So they just have to get it right. It it takes a while to kind of... Um, to kind of put all that together. It's like when you get your new class in the in September, like September is painful because you're like trying to all learn the procedures and the the um the things you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do them and all that. And then it takes a little while and then they finally all get it together and they mesh and you're like, this is what I worked so hard for in September. Exactly. So that's kind of where we're at. I it like seems that like, analogy. Yeah. It's very true. It's like the classroom. So can they sustain this comeback? I think that they can. Yeah. If they are all at every level, the offense, the defense, the special teams, we've seen in every facet of the game that they can be top tier. Yeah. When they can all put it together yes. on the field, yeah, they can sustain. And I, I think there was some concern, right? Like when Jamal got hurt in the beginning, I think there was some concern about the defense and how all that was going to go too. And, um, and I think we've seen, you know, with the special teams and defense, I think that they've done a great job. Ryan Neal, I have to mention Ryan Neal because, you know, I love him, um, has been really given the opportunity to show what he can do and just shine like the diamond that he is. So Kate has loved Ryan Neal since day one. Like, yeah, last year when he stepped in, when Jamal got hurt. Mm-hmm. So shout out to Ryan Neal, too. I just think that there's a lot of talent on this field. It's true. And they're all really connected and, and growing closer as they mm-hmm. get to play longer together. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to 710 Radio going down to work this week, and I was listening to KJ Wright talk about, you get this look in your eye 
out mm-hmm. there at some point and you look at your brothers out there in the field and it's like that spark and you can you start to yep. feel it like yeah it, there's a chemistry yeah it's like when it feels you, good you know what you're doing you, you see something mm-hmm. you look at your brother next to you you see it and yep. you make those plays and mike salk was like it's kind of like a love letter you know like like are you falling in love with somebody for the first time in your life and there's that oh, spark yeah. kind of in your eye yeah, yeah. like you just know and it's like when when you look around and you know what the other person is thinking and they know what you're thinking because you're that connected it makes such a huge difference. So mm. I'm I'm excited about it. I think they I think can they do can it. Sustain it. Mm. Geno Smith is he an underrated quarterback coming into his own? In college, he had a lot of success. Yeah. He got drafted. He went to a team that wasn't that great. Which sometimes it's 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 catch twenty two for these quarterbacks. Yeah. When they're being scouted and they're they're projected to be some of the top quarterbacks in their class. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that they end up going to the teams that are typically that, struggling the that most need unless the help. Yeah. There was a draft pick that went high to a team that was already pretty successful because of trades and, and that sort of thing. But they go to these teams that are already struggling. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a coaching staff issue, whether yeah. it's a playing a player personnel situation, they're going to teams that aren't going to necessarily provide them with the success that they deserve to showcase their potential yeah. abilities. Yeah. And then you talk about how coaches develop players. Sure. Geno Smith had the potential this entire time. And it's something that he would say is like, this is me. I've been this way forever, but he will also attribute it to having years of sitting behind some of the best quarterbacks yeah. in the NFL. Yeah. Eli Manning. Yeah. Phillip Rivers. Mm -hmm. Russell Wilson. Mm -hmm. He had time sitting and backing up all of those quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And they all have different styles and ways that they play the game. Yeah. You compile that together and we're seeing Geno have the highest completion uh, percentage in the NFL right now. Yeah. 72%. Yeah. And it's his like it's his ninth year, tenth year, ninth or tenth year. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it just I I think that I think that people I don't know if he's technically underrated, but I think people he was I think coming people, into un- the season. I think people underrated him to start with. Like yes. people didn't people probably just didn't know what he could do because he never really had that many opportunities to be on the field to show it. Like he had a couple last season for us when Russ was out, but. When he started for the Jets, when he first got drafted, yeah. he was still very young. He was a gunslinger. He didn't have as much patience. He was trying to put the ball in places. He had quite a few interceptions. Sure. Again, it's a learning curve. There's a learning curve. To NFL. Who's your coaching staff? Who yeah. are your player personnel? Mm-hmm. All of that can make a difference of whether or not you have success. Sure. But I would say it's definitely the development piece. He was, he, he was 100% underrated going into the season. Yeah. I don't know if it's about him coming into his own or how long he's actually been this mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. But the, the, I would argue the last season too, training, yeah. he had the shadow of when is Russell coming back the whole time when he was under center. That's a hard thing too. Because he knew he wasn't going to keep, like the minute Russell was better, he knew that he was going to be going back to being a backup. Yeah. This is Gino's team. Mm-hmm. Gino's commanding this team. He doesn't have to have the fear 
of, oh, well, the starting quarterback who it's 100% that guy's job. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to come back at any time. Well, so can he help take us back to the playoffs? Oh, I think we're going to playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know you do. I know I you think do. we're going to the playoffs and maybe I shouldn't get so overzealous. Maybe I should com- continue to sell them short because it's obviously continue everybody, to prove me wrong. Everybody else is selling them short. All the, continue all to the prove media. Me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. They've thrived in being the underdog this season. Mm-hmm. I don't want to sit here. I totally have high expectations now, by the way. She does. She really does. And tomorrow they're playing in Munich against the Buccaneers tomorrow yeah. morning. We talked to Coach Ruler about that a little yeah. bit. 6.30 a.m. our Seattle time. So this leads to the next question. It does, which is from Noble Sports. And they ask, are we Super Bowl bound? So ooh, if we can win this game in yeah. Munich, I think that we could very well be Super Bowl bound. And the reason I say that is because yeah. right now it's a Super Bowl atmosphere for them over there. And so many 12s it went. Is. Yeah. And there's so many 12 fans in, in Germany. Germany. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like a home game, even though it's not. Yeah. And, and Gino's going up against one of the greatest of all time in the NFL. Yeah. The quarterback, no matter, Tom Brady. No, no matter how you feel about Tom Brady. No matter how you feel, no matter how old that guy is. He has done things that no other quarterback has done in this league. And he continues yeah. to find ways to win. Yeah. He is going against the top veteran quarterback in this entire league. Yeah. If the Seahawks can pull out a win against the Bucks, I would love it. In Germany. Yep. I think that they're going to play or not only the playoffs, but the Super Bowl. I, I would love it. I would love to see it. I say, let's make it happen. I mean, we're not involved, but like, you know, just sending those positive vibes. I have so vibes. much emotional investment. It was, you know, I put this out in a tweet the other day and I said, you know, before the season started, I just wanted to beat the Broncos. After we beat the Broncos, I was just happy we beat the Broncos. We could lose every other game. And now we're six and three. I'm emotionally invested. <laughs> true. And I think we're Super Bowl bound. She's Zero got, to a hundred. Now we're here. Yeah. She's got feelings about it. She's, she's like speaking it into existence. So hopefully, hopefully it all works out. Yeah. If it's not this season, it's next season or the season after. In the next three years, we will be Super Bowl bound. I I love it. Let's do it. All right. Well, Thanks for tuning into the mailbag segment, everybody. Yeah. So this is the wrapping up. Yeah, we're at the, the end. end of the Pacific Northwest Showdown podcast. We've, we want to give a huge thank you to Coach Amanda yes, Ruler for joining so us and just giving us such amazing content and information. Mm-hmm. And I soaked up so much of what you shared and your knowledge and your expertise. And I really hope that we can continue conversations down the road. I just want to yeah. like suck up all of your knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. You may have a uh, coach ruler. You may have a new like number one fan over here. Probably. So, um, so just be aware that that's now. a yeah. thing. So Kate, where can they find us on social media? We are on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at PNW showdown on all of those platforms. And you know, we love we love the follows, we love the comments and the likes and just the interaction is the thing that, that is so great. So thank you to those of you that that interact with us on on those platforms. And you know, if you are listening to your podcast anywhere that you can leave reviews or ratings or that kind of thing, we always we always appreciate that too. And actually, if depending on when you listen to this, um, if you if you leave a rating and a review by like what was it, eight PM? Seattle time on Sunday the 13th. You can do it before then and um, screenshot it. 
Michaela has a um, has a Twitter post about it. And if you leave it there, you could be entered in to win uh, a new piece of PNW merch. Because if you haven't heard, we now have a merch store to where you can. And we'll have new lines that are dropping at different times. So definitely want to keep updated on that. Totally. Be sure to follow us so you know when those things happen. We we really appreciate all of you. We really do. Thanks Thanksgiving in November. It's sort of that time for me of like gratitude and I am so grateful we've been able to do this for over a year now and that people still seem to be liking to listen to it. So so thank you so much. And uh, well, yeah. remember to take care of your heart and mind above all else. Until next time. Sorry, I wasn't um, tuned in in the beginning. I guess I missed the cue. <laughs> but there you go. Welcome to the Marvel moment where we have uh, terrible jokes. Since you decided to stick around this long, you get terrible jokes as your reward. So you're welcome. Michaela, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Yeah. You ready for this? I am always ready. Okay. This isn't going to be a question though. Okay. Okay. Dogs can't operate MRI machines, but cats can. Oh, that was a good one. And you know what? Dogs shouldn't be doing it. It's honestly a cat's job, so that makes sense. Um, so Michaela, who who's bigger in size? Mr. Bigger or Mr. Bigger's son? I don't know. Um, Mr. Bigger's son, because he's a little bigger. <laughs> she reluctantly hit the button to do that noise. Oh, so good. It was an emotional wedding. Even the cake was in tears. <laughs> I really wish you all could have seen her face for that. One. That was good. Um, all right. Well, um, I just bought a first. I just bought myself a first aid kit. Thought I'd treat myself. She's not amused. Well, going along with that a little bit. Yeah. Why did Waldo go to therapy? He couldn't find himself. To find himself. Oh, I was close. I was close. Okay, last one for me. It's also not great, but um, it says, 
I tried to find volunteers for a tug of war game during a party, but failed miserably. The good players just won't come forward. Yeah, and all of my jokes I stole from Stand Up T Rex on Instagram. So it's a really <laughs> funny page. Um, but anyway, yeah. So thank you for joining us for um some great jokes that are also terrible. <laughs> See, I can hear you laughing. That's awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank I have you. to press that again yeah, you have to, to make stop that it. stop. That's all right. We're still learning sound effects, but um. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking around. We hope you have a great weekend, great rest of your week, depending on when you listen to this. Great, you know, December. I don't know, but thanks for tuning in. It's November. I know, but maybe they're catching up on it like a long time from now. Who knows? Could be. (laughs) Until next time. Goodbye. (laughs)